0: Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. You, God, Son, Amen. Amen. So this passage obviously is kind of the classic passage on justification, justification by faith. It's classic Christian doctrine. Now we often think about justification as just the forgiveness of my sins, that I've been justified, made right with God, But this passage has so much more in it, so much so that we can't possibly cover all of it within, you know, one 20-minute sermon or so. That justification, though, is so much more than just my sins, your sins being forgiven. And it has so much more to do with our relationship with God, where we stand with Him, the intimacy, intimacy that we have with our Creator through Jesus Christ, His life, death, and resurrection. And now this is something, this relationship, this connection with God, and sometimes, honestly, this distance we feel from God. All of that, all of the hope, even through the darker times, is going to come back to justification. Now, we know what it is to have difficult relationships in our lives. For, for some of us, uh, we have good friends, we have family members with whom we're estranged. You know, we have someone that, you know, all we have to do is pick up the phone and call her, but yet we don't. And she doesn't want to talk to us, and quite frankly, we don't really care to talk to her. And so some of these people who at one time were maybe the closest to us, when we're going through these life events, these special moments, they're not there. Because relationships can be broken. We can become estranged. And look, I think sometimes we feel like that happens with God, doesn't it? That sometimes we can go and we go through seasons of our life, perhaps even I've gone through long seasons like this, where it just felt like, you know, God ain't there. And, you know, I could just, so as it you know, might be, pick up the phone and talk to, to God. But, you know, I don't really want to, to tell you the truth. And, and, and quite honestly, he doesn't really seem to want to talk to me too much. And we tend to; it feels that way, and it, we know maybe intellectually that it's not true, but that doesn't change the way that we feel. And so, this life that sometimes that Christians portray or exude is that oh, things are always really good with God, and and to even hint that maybe you know what I'm not really, I don't really care. Right now, that that's just it's, it feels threatening. You can't admit that, and yet I know we all feel that way sometimes, and sometimes we enter into that just living as though, yeah, that relationship is is broken, and so that's why we need to hear and be reminded of sometimes this doctrine of justification by faith, and let the Scriptures speak the truth into our lives that we, we know. We know it's there, and see, I think sometimes speaking that truth is Uh, what we need to kind of overcome some of those feelings sometimes. Not that we discount those feelings, but we need to speak that truth. Now, so Paul starts out here on the foundation of our justification. For him, our relationship and intimacy with God has everything to do with our justification. And I want you to hear this. I believe this biblically, that yes, forgiveness of sins is very, it's an essential part of justification by faith. But I believe biblically the language of justification has most to do, most foundationally, with the fact that we are brought into God's family. Justification is a relational doctrine, first and foremost. And it starts with, started way back with Abraham. You know that story where God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. And y'all are going to go and be a blessing to the nations. But that's the foundation, is that familial relationship with God. That's what Jesus came to give us, or to return us to, to be a part of God's family. Now, three things that we're going to focus on in this passage this morning about justification. It brings three things into our life. Peace, access, and hope. Peace, access, and hope. First of all, peace. Look at verse 1 once again. This is what the NIV says anyway. It says, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. It doesn't say we have the peace of God. Paul talks about that elsewhere. May the peace of God be with you. You know, that kind of stuff. And may God pour out his peace upon you. That's the peace of God, this existential sense deep within our spirit, the spirit testifying with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's the peace of God. But this says peace with God. Peace with God is relational. Peace with God is that thing that is outside of ourselves that comes into our life and brings us that relational peace. And we we know that in our relationships. We know that in our, if those of you who are married, you know this, that um, every so often, it's not the normal state it doesn't feel like of marriage, but sometimes we go through those seasons of, man, we're just at peace with each other. It's cool. And that, you know, that happens more and more after your children get out of the house, by the way. So hang in there. We're empty nesters. I'm telling you, we got so much peace in our house, we don't even know what to do with it. But it's objective. And here's the thing. Peace with God is true whether or not you feel it. It's something that God declares that is real in your life. It transcends circumstances of failure, circumstances of tragedy. It's not dependent upon your emotional state of being. Now, this means that even when we feel distant from God, that God is still nevertheless closer than we could ever imagine. You know, the creation story, the creation account tells us that God breathed and made everything that is. That nothing that was made wasn't made except by the breath of his presence. And one of the things that theologians will talk about is saying that that means every molecule in this world has the fingerprint of God upon it. That means every molecule that makes up you and who you are has the fingerprint of God all over it, that God came, the Christ came and entered into creation. And the the scriptures talk about how the Spirit comes and enters into you and dwells within you. You can't get more close than that. And it's not dependent upon how you feel. It's tenacious. It's it's never broken. Your Your acceptance with Him is always objectively True. Peace with God. Secondly, access. Look at verse 2. Paul says, We have gained access into grace and stand in that grace. We have access to grace. Now, the Greek word here is the Greek word prosagoge, and it has to do with um, being introduced face to face. It has to do with being brought near, not just like, here's my tickets, and I get in. There's a deeply relational aspect to this term. This is kind of what it's like. Let's say, you know, I went over to England, and I wanted to meet the king, right? What do I do? You know, do I walk up to the gates of Buckingham Palace and knock on the door, ring the bell, whatever it is, and they say, yes, can I help you? And I say, yes, mate. I'm Andrew Levine, and I fancy a visit with the king. What are they going to say? What are they going to say? Come on. Gonna, yeah, piss off, is that what you said? <laughs> wow, you can't say that in church, bro. <laughs> but yeah, that's what they're going to say. You know, no, you can't. But what if they were to say, if we had access in the sense of protagoge, then they would say, sure, Andrew, come on in the king is in here. In fact, he's just sitting down for dinner. Why don't you join? And so we sit down and we have dinner with the king and we're just talking about a bunch of dumb stuff. You know, we're talking about Formula One or tennis. Yeah, like, like you were doing. That's why he was late to church, by the way. He was watching <laughs> tennis. And so that's access. It's the most intimate presence of being brought in In relationship. That's what justification is. That's what it is. It means we're brought near because we're family. We we come and we sit down at God's dinner table. That's what the the celebration of the Eucharist is, because we're justified, because we have access. This is the most intimate invitation. God says, "I, I want you here at my meal because you're family. You're my child, my daughter, my son. It's sitting down with him in intimate relationships. So, first 2, peace and access. But thirdly, hope. Look at ver- the second part of verse 2. It says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Peace, access, hope in the, of the glory of God. Now, in English, this word hope, we know what that means. Hope. I hope, she says Yes. I hope that the Braves win the World Series. I hope that Georgia Tech has a winning season. Good luck with that one. Any Georgia Tech people? Uh, You're ashamed to admit it, aren't you? But I hope these things happen. In other words, hope in English as we use it, it, it doesn't have the sense of certainty. It has the sense of desire that this is what I I really want to be true. That's not what this word means in Greek. In the Greek, it, it's the word elpis, and it means not Elvis, elpis. Um, it means certain conviction. It's knowing that something is true even when it doesn't feel like it. It's knowing that something is true deep down within your bones. You know, so let me give you an example, Greg if I were to, I want you, I'm going to bet you something. If I were to bet you, Greg, I'll bet the sun will not come up tomorrow. Bet you a hundred dollars. Are you going to take that bet? Of course you are, because what, the sun is going to come up tomorrow, and if it doesn't, we got bigger problems, right? <laughs> and so, if I say the sun's not going to come up, you're going to take that bet. Why? Because you have this, this hope. It's a certainty, That you can walk along the ground, the earth that you've trod your your whole life, and you know it's not going to crumble beneath you. You don't need a structural engineer to come in and give you empirical proof of that. You just know it. That's the hope of justification. It's a certainty. It's a bet that we know we're going to win. And Paul says that that is the certainty that we have for sharing in the glory of God. It just is. It's true. Whether we feel it or not. Whether we fail. Whether we walk away. Whether we deal with the the common modern maladies of depression, anxiety, apathy. All of these things. Exhaustion. We have hope. We walk in that hope with certainty. Because it is. Now, we, we don't always use that, though. And look, I, I think we do need to, to really, you know, let's be honest about what walking with God is. Sometimes, you know what, we don't want to go home for dinner. You know, we don't want to sit down. Nevertheless, it doesn't change our hope. It doesn't change the certainty. Because hope means that we're certain that our fragile peace and sometimes inability to feel intimate with God are not... Uh, are not because God's not close. It means our justification is not dependent upon our actions or our emotions. So we have that hope. Now, how do we get it? How do we get these things into, into our life? How do we get it? Look at verse 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. This is what Paul says. He says, And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. All of these things, we get them through the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Spirit puts this certainty. The Spirit says to us, the sun is going to come up tomorrow. You can know that that's true. You can know that the ground beneath you is solid. You can know that God is near to you. And you can share in the glory of God. Now, the world tells us it's stupid to believe in that. Why would you believe that God—how can you believe that God is real? The world is going to say, God, God's not listening to you. He didn't have time for you. And besides, how can he listen to, like, millions and millions of people at the same time? It's dumb. And yet we have the Spirit within us testifying to our spirit that we are the children of God, that we share in the intimacy—intimacy intimacy with God, do you realize this— the same intimacy that Jesus has with the Father is is what you have with God. That's bananas, ain't it? And that's part of what it means for the Spirit to be dwelling in us. You can't, it's so much so that theolo- theologians, this gets dangerously close to, to heresy, but so much so that this language starts to feel like that we have God in us, that we are, we have the divine in us. And it doesn't mean that you are, you are God, but man, it's pretty close. That's so much so that the being within us is sometimes can feel indistinguishable from the deity. You're still human, and you ain't God. It feels kind of profound and unbelievable and a little scary at the same time. But that's what the Spirit brings into your life, and Paul knows that this is hard to grasp because he says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Even back then, they were saying, Y'all crazy. Uh, There's no way that's true. This is a fantasy. He goes on to say, But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The Spirit proclaims Christ, the power of God, to us our justification now our human instinct says it's foolishness to hope in this but the spirit says no it's certain and in reality it can be no other way because that's just the way god is god is foundationally a relational god that's why we're created as relational beings we're connected we're meant to be in relationship and communion with one another that's why you guys are here we're not here to get kudos from God. We're not here to earn any sort of acceptance with God. We are here because of each other. Church would not be church if it weren't for each other. And God says, you share that, you have that, because that's foundational in my relationship with you. That's what the Spirit gives us. That's the Spirit of hope. Now let me pray for us. Father, God, we are grateful that even through these times of trans- transition and times of uncertainty that we're experiencing here at Villa's church even now that God that we can walk forward in faith not in this pollyanna sort of thing like i hope it works out but faith and hope and certainty that the same and just as strong as that the sun will come up tomorrow that you have a a hope for us you have a story that you're not finished telling in us individually and corporately. And God, we know this by your spirit. And so, Father, I pray, I ask that, that, that you would pour your spirit out afresh upon this congregation, upon these folks as they go out into the community to be a part of different expressions, perhaps, of your church. God, that you would fill them afresh with your presence. That their weary spirits would be revived. That their exhaustion, their exhaustion will be turned to strength. That their discouragement will be turned to hope. Father, we ask this in the name of Christ our Savior and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.